Welcome to On the Porch, the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Annette Sanook Clapsaddle is an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians and lives in Kuala, North Carolina. She holds degrees from Yale and the College of William and Mary. Annette is also a finalist for the Penn Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction. Her writing has appeared in Lit Hub, The Atlantic, and many other places. After serving as executive director of the Cherokee Preservation Foundation, Annette returned to teaching at Swain County High School. She is the former co-editor of the Journal of Cherokee Studies, and her debut novel, Even As We Breathe, was released in 2020 and was a finalist for the Weatherford Award and named as one of NPR's Best Books of 2020. Full disclosure here, I was the editor of that novel, so welcome to On the Porch, Annette. Uh, thanks for having me, Silas. I'm happy to chat with you for a little while. Yeah, we're happy to have you. One thing I love about our listeners is that they are readers. So let's start by telling them about Even As We Breathe. In your words, what do you want them to know about the novel? Sure. So Even As We Breathe is set the summer of 1942. Um, when the Grove Park Inn and Resort in Asheville, North Carolina, held access um, diplomats and uh, foreign nationals as prisoners of war. And my protagonist is County Sequoia. He's 19 years old, and he's a young Cherokee man who goes to work there that summer. Uh, he's joined by Essie Stamper, a, a young Cherokee woman who is also working on the the grounds of this uh, you know, really posh resort in western North Carolina uh, for the summer. While County is at the Grove Park, he is accused of being involved in the disappearance of a diplomat's daughter. And um, while he's trying to, to clear his name, he is also trying to un- unravel a bit of a family secret back home in Cherokee. Um, it doesn't help the fact that he's, he's fallen for Essie, um, and they have a, a pretty unique uh, relationship that builds over that summer while they're working at the Grove Park. Right. And you do such a beautiful job of going back and forth between um, County's home place and Asheville. And you sort of have, I love it when a novel has places that are sort of in conflict, you know, as well as people mm-hmm. in conflict. So that's one thing I love about it. Um, the period details in the book are so rich. So how much research did you have to do to take us back to World War II era, Western North Carolina? Sure. So, um, I, you know, I'm both fortunate and maybe a little unlucky that there, there's not a lot of research available specifically from what was going on that summer at the Grove Park. So I'm fortunate as a fiction writer that I, that I have a little bit of latitude in um, where I can take readers. But um, I focused in my research mostly on uh, understanding the region during 1942 and kind of um, the cultural context and environmental um, setting of the landscape during that time period. So I spent a lot of time looking at old photographs mostly to make sure that I was getting, you know, things as um, 
specific as what the roads look like between Cherokee and Asheville. And then the Grove Park in itself has a little bit of history um, recorded. They have a book out. In fact, it's the history of the Grove Park. But there's there's only about a half a page or so on uh, that summer in 1942, wow. which, yeah, which makes sense, though. I mean, it's wartime and in yeah. um, a short period of time. So I was mostly just focused on cultural and environmental context um, and let that really, you know, kind of direct um, the, 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 act, the events, I mean, of that summer. So, um, you know, this is what I always say, that this is a setting-driven novel because you do have these two places in, con- in conflict, but also this wartime uh, period that, that really kind of ups the stakes yeah, I don't think most people know that there were prisoners held, you know, in this area during World War II. Um, and I, and in, in this case, they're prisoners who are being treated really, really well because they're diplomats, <laughs> right? They're German diplomats. And, and so on one hand, they're being held there, but on the other hand— they are not uh, at the bottom of the hierarchy. Actually, the the workers are. The people who are working there are more so at the bottom of that hierarchy. So I think that's really interesting too. Yeah, that was something that um, that I, you know really attracted me to this this story in general um, because I you know I I know that. Um, some Japanese internment camps were set up on Indian reservations mm-hmm. out west. And I've always kind of been fascinated with this idea of imprisonment and land and um, who is a who's considered a prisoner and when. Um, and so it made sense for me to use the you know, this this actual event, this actual place and um, explore these you know, motifs of citizenship and belonging and um, and class and how class plays a role right. um, in all of these questions. Well, amazingly, Even As We Breathe is the first ever novel to be published by an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. So when you're from a specific culture, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with being a writer or any kind of public figure. In your case, you're expected to not only represent uh, the Eastern Band of Cherokee, but also the region of Appalachia. So how do you feel about those expectations that you now represent your place and your people as somebody who's out there, you know, as a as a public figure? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm honored to serve in that role. and But it is a responsibility, and I want to make sure that you know, I'm I'm always careful to say I'm, I'm just one voice from the Eastern Band or I'm just one voice from Appalachia. Um, it's really an opportunity, specifically with, you know, with the Eastern Band, to try to use, you know, kind of a new um, a platform to help leverage opportunities for other artists from our community who are far more talented than I am. So, for example, uh, I, I've become a, a point of contact for a lot of people outside of our community because, you know, I, people can find me, right. <laughs> you know, when yep. they're looking for for representation from our community. So 
you know, people are looking for uh, visual artists um, to do work. They're looking for voiceover work, um, all kinds of things. And so, you know, I feel like it's a great opportunity for me to connect some other members of our tribe, other citizens from our tribe, um, to give them the opportunities that I've been fortunate enough to have because people have done that for me. So, and that, you know, kind of full circle, a lot of those opportunities that I've had have been from people in Appalachia in general, um, people like yourself, of course, um, who have made it possible for me to get this voice out. So I just, I love kind of thinking it, thinking of it as this, um, you know, expanding um, web that that can help you know bring attention to to some of these these other voices that are out there and and it you know I don't want to I don't want to misstep there is that pressure not to to convey our culture in a way that's not true and it gets you know it's it's sometimes daunting work to be that one accessible voice for <laughs> a tribe but. Um, I'm, I'm mostly just honored uh, to have the opportunity. This is WUKY 91.3 FM listener supported radio. I'm Silas House. This is On the Porch, and we're visiting with Annette Sanook Clapsaddle, author of Even As We Breathe. Well, Annette, in American schools, we're not taught hardly anything about Native American life, and when we are, it's almost always from the white point of view. So if people truly want to have a deeper understanding of Cherokee culture, what would you advise them to do? I, well, I always think make a visit. I don't think you mm-hmm. can understand our culture without understanding place, and you just can't get there through the history book. And uh, so, you know, I know it's not possible, especially during a pandemic, um, to travel necessarily, but if you can and get the opportunity to visit us, uh, um, in Western North Carolina, in Cherokee, um, I think it, you know there's there's a lot to learn from uh, um, our cultural attractions, or just you know just being in the midst of our community. And then, other than that, I always encourage people to read fiction if they are uh, seeking to empathize with a community. And so, as we mentioned, since I'm the only Eastern Band author. Um, mm-hmm. I really do recommend there there are some Cherokee Nation authors, for example, that, of course, Cherokee Nation is our brother-sister <laughs> mm-hmm. tribe. We are the same tribe. Um, so folks like um, Kelly Jo Ford just um, released a novel maybe a little bit before mine, um, Crooked Hallelujah is the name of that, and... You know, she's just one of several Cherokee Nation authors who are writing. So even though it's not uh, necessarily reading the history of our tribe, I think it's just as important to to read the creative fiction um, because you get a sense of worldview yes. that I think is the most important thing. The history books are not written by Native people in general. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of these novels at least give you an authentic worldview. Right. I think the, the museum in Cherokee is just mm-hmm. wonderful and more people should visit it. You know, um, so many people go to the Smokies and never go on over to Cherokee and visit that mm-hmm. museum or see the, the outdoor drama, you know, so there's so much there. Like yeah. The saying. Oakland left the Indian museum, yes. which is a living history mm-hmm. uh, outdoor. Yeah. And especially, you know, if you're thinking about wanting to do things that are outdoors, 
um, they're a little bit safer uh, in this climate, then the village is a great place to visit. Well, like most writers, you do have another job besides writing. So as I said, you are a high school teacher. Um, and I've I've seen you in action as a high school teacher. It's just uh, it's really great to see how much your students admire you. And but I can't imagine what that's been like through this pandemic. So how are you and the students hanging in there? <laughs> um, well, I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> it's, it's not easy, um, and it's it's been yeah. This has been harder than I expected it because to some extent. There's a little bit of no- normalcy. I mean, we're in school five days a week. We are masked. Um, but it, it's, it's been a hard year of readjustment. And I guess you've just been through constant readjustment for the last couple of years. Uh, every few months we readjust to something new. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, you know, I think I, I feel connected to my students in a new way this year because we have this commonality that we've had to go through um, an event or events uh, like this together. And there's a lot more, um, you know, empathy both, you know, uh, on both ends. Uh, Sometimes high school students aren't the most empathetic with teachers, (laughs) and that's understandable. Um, But, you you know, I feel it this year um, more than in past years, I think. We're just tired, you know. We're, we're, (laughs) We're very tired all the time, and so... I'll give you an example. Um, today, my my seniors, these are my AP Lit students. They're all applying to colleges right now and have been stressed <laughs> mm-hmm. as seniors tend to be this time of year. And we're reading a novel um, and talking about the narrator. Uh, it's a third-person omniscient narrator, but um, when the narration goes back to a flashback, it's kind of an immature narrator. We we have the feeling because we're early on that there's a childlike perspective. And so I was telling my students, uh, I always tell them stories about my youngest son Charlie, who um, you know has all these observations about life at age eight. <laughs> and uh, so I decided today that we would go outside uh, for a walk, and I told them, "You guys are ages four to eight. Um, I want you to observe, you know, the world around you as if you are between the ages of four and eight, the best you can, you know, we had the best time this morning and, um, and they, and to see them laugh and, um, and not worry, um, about everything all the time was great. When we got back into the classroom, you know, what what they had to say about that experience, how they just thought about what was in front of them at that moment um, was so different than what they're used to. And I think that that's, you know, indicative of, of what we're going through right now. It's just, you know, a constant worry, it feels like. Um, and we, right. we need a little bit of a break. Yeah. Yeah. My parents, <clears throat> my students were telling me the other day that they realized that this is a complete paradigm shift and it's changed Mm. their whole lives you know so i'm really i'm really sad for them and how much it's uh, i just can't imagine being a young person through all this but i know know. um, but you are such a multi-faceted person you're a writer you're a teacher and you're also a mountain bike rider people (laughs) don't expect those three things to go together so (laughs) 
tell us what you love about riding mountain bikes, and specifically, I'd like to hear how it feeds you as a rider. Yeah. W-R-I-T-E-R. I know. It's, I have, I'll have to clarify since I'm on, uh, you know, it's audio. Um, well, it's funny. I'm on my way to go ride here in a moment, so I'm in riding clothes. But I love how the motion and the physicality of it um, feeds my writing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's been said that good writing is felt in the body. And so being an active person, and I think you can do it in all kinds of ways. You don't have to get on a mountain bike, but being an active person um, helps you really kind of feel out how we negotiate the the world. And as I explain it to people, you know, when you talk about, for example, imagery, you know, Mm -hmm. imagery is so much more than just those, what you smell, what you touch what you see it's it's also like weight on the body uh how the how air moves across your body the the pressure all these things and being an active person um helps me realize that more i can tap into it you know when i'm sitting in front of a a computer more Mm -hmm. and then the other thing um that i know that that you and i have in common is just this love of the outdoors and how place uh, influences uh, story for us. So I love being in the middle of the woods um, and focusing on not dying on a bike for one, but, (laughs) you know, just kind of, I I tell, I was telling a friend the other day, I just, you know, I, I ride some of the same trails over and over, but the trail is different every single day. Um, And I love noticing how the, the subtleties of how, seasons change and uh, you know not long ago i was on the mountain and it stunk so bad i mean it smelled like 10 animals were dead on the trail mm. but it was the mushrooms dying mm. and i wouldn't know that otherwise i wouldn't you right. know so i just i love those kind of experiences um and then the final thing i'll say about it is i often write while i ride and and by that, I mean in my head. So oftentimes I'll just have a sentence that will come to me while I'm on a bike and I just work it and work it and work it while I'm on the bike because I can't write it down. So A, don't want to forget it, you know, <laughs> and then B, it's just like you're in motion working that sentence over and over. Um, it's just a really kind of a neat process for me to uh, do that fine-tuned uh, riding mm-hmm. uh, while I'm on a bike. Yeah, that's that's beautifully articulated. That makes so much sense. Um, well, the first half of the show, I play music, so I always want to know what my guests are listening to and loving these days. Oh, I am a little overly obsessed, and I hope I say his last name right. I could be wrong. Uh, Ryan Montblue, um, uh-huh. who he was the first concert out of COVID. I saw mm. that may have something to do with it, um, at an outdoor venue, but, um, I, I just love his, um, I love his lyrics. You know, I'm a big, I, I'm a lyrics first, um, kind of person. So mm. I'm listening to a lot of him and then, um, well, you introduced me to Dory Freeman, and she has mm-hmm. a new album out. So that I, I've been loving that. Yeah, I played um, a track off that yeah. on today's show. So, 
Oh, did you? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's one of the best. She's. Uh, I want more and more people to know about Dory Freeman. So I'm. I'm so glad you're into, yeah. into that. I. I mean, I use um, her lyrics in class when I when we study mm-hmm. poetry specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 What about recent books you'd like to recommend besides your own, of course, to our audience? <laughs> um, let's see. So I mentioned Crooked Hallelujah, and I get, you know, I get um, some of these books may not be like super recent because once school starts, I'm rereading things a lot. But um, I have been, this is almost embarrassing to say that it's taken me this long to get to this book. But I've I've been taking it really slow, um, on and I've been listening on audio to braiding sweetgrass, uh-huh. and I've just been kind of, and I made myself take it slow because there it's such a rich, beautiful, beautiful book. Kimmerer is the the last name of yes. the author, just a beautiful book. And then I right now I'm this is way off from my normal. I'm uh, reading My Heart is a Chainsaw, mm-hmm. um, which is horror fiction by another uh, Native author um, who actually, we were just at a book festival together, so um have a tendency to read. Stephen Graham um, Brown, is that right? Yeah, Stephen Graham Brown, yeah. yeah. Or Graham Jones, I'm sorry, okay, Graham yes. Jones. And I, and I kept almost calling him... Uh, Stephen Graham Green, <laughs> Graham Green, but uh, yeah, and then um, yeah, okay, yeah, I think that's that's mostly what I'm reading right now um, because I'm reading a lot of student essays right now too. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. I'm teaching, especially being a public school teacher, so all encompassing. When do you get to write? That's a good question. Um, I wake up at five in the morning. And I I just try to get in that routine. Um, you know, I think with novels, it ha like I have to do it every day. I have to I have to write or or be editing or something um, with the novel that I'm working on every day, mm-hmm. or I just lose it and I wait. I feel like I waste so much time because mm-hmm. then I have to go back and kind of re-enter that world. So at least a little bit every morning. Um, but then I, you know, I, I just have to try to find if I've got a long weekend um, or, or something like that. Mostly the most generative part of it is in the summer when I have yeah. a long, longer period of time, and I did some retreats and whatnot this summer that could do right. that. But Robert Robert Geip's piece of advice is touch it every day, um, and and he's right about that when it comes to when it comes to novel writing. Well, it certainly paid off with even as we breathe, and uh, I just can't recommend that highly enough for everyone. Thank you so much for being here with us on the porch, Annette. Yeah, thank you, Silas. It was great to hear your voice. Even As We Breathe is available wherever fine books are sold. I hope all of you will get a copy. And thank all of you for being here with us today on this episode of On the Porch. Until next time, be good to one another. Thanks for listening to the podcast of On the Porch. I'm your host, Silas House. This episode was engineered and produced by DeBron Thomas at the studios of WUKY 91.3 FM in Lexington, Kentucky. We are listener-supported radio 
and we thank you for joining us.